Hello and welcome to the Doyen Interviews with me, Bridget Nathan. This is an Australian art and design podcast that speaks with inspiring women. Thanks to Anon for the beautiful introductory music and also to Grace Yeo for illustrating the episodes. I'm glad you've tuned in. Also, thanks to Coolon LED Lighting for sponsoring this season. Coolon have an awesome architectural range, so head on over to their website to see what they offer. The Doyen Interviews acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording. We recognise and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Okay, so hello and welcome to our next guest, Nayan Puri. Nayan is a registered architect in Victoria and she also has a really amazing background in the earth. So things like permaculture and natural building have been a really big part of her experience. Um, Thank you, Nayan, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Bridget. How are you? I'm good. Are you working from home? full-time at the moment. Yes, I was pretty lucky because I started working from home at the start of this year, so it wasn't too much okay. of a change, yeah. But um, yeah. the cool thing now yeah. is that everyone else is working from home, so I feel less isolated. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Um, and so thinking about adaption, what does adaption mean to you um, as a sort of general concept? Yeah, I guess adaption to me really is about resilience. So the way that I picture it in my mind um, is me falling down in the dirt, um, brushing my knees, looking at my wounds, sort of letting them heal and then getting back up and getting going again. So it's it's really that brushing the knees off and getting back up. That's how I sort of visualise resilience in my mind, yeah. Do you feel that? when people brush themselves off they've changed a little bit or with that you always yeah I guess it's you it's um I guess the process is brushing off the dirt learning from your experience addressing the wounds letting the wounds heal and then getting back up yeah but I always think about that every time I form flat on my face for um, (laughs) for one one reason or another I think like okay now now's the time to brush off your knees and get back up like the most important thing is getting back up yeah I guess in that sense adaption and resilience are pretty closely related words yeah and so yeah it would be great to talk a little bit about your career and um you've paved out a pretty interesting focus for yourself in terms of natural building and ESD um where did this all begin yeah that's a good question um (laughs) it all really began for me after leaving uni so after I guess I got off the conveyor belt of school university and we do six I did six years um for my architectural degree um I think a lot of a lot of things had happened over the years and then when I finished my degree there was a whole bunch of um, life events and circumstances that all culminated. I just um, hit a wall. That actually was, um, it was actually almost like a breakthrough. And so before that moment in time where I had this breakdown breakthrough, I was just going along. I would say that I was very much on this sort of conveyor belt that I sort of um, really 
get a job, buy a house, get married, or maybe get married and buy a house and all of those sorts of things. But when I had this um, breakthrough, I just completely changed my whole view of the world. And I think I went from not just thinking about myself, but thinking about myself in the web of life and my and that that we're all sort of part of this wider system. And, um, yeah. and that's really when I started to, like, have a strong affinity with nature. So wow. that, that's so my passion sort of came to me in, in, in one moment when I was 24 pretty much. <laughs> wow. That's amazing and, yeah, so insightful and great to, that you can share that. Um, when you think about nature, what does nature mean to you? Like um, what, you know, there are a lot of themes that come with that and that if I think um, we're obviously friends so this interview is a little bit different in that I know a bit about your background. Um, but what is nature? Like, does nature mean to you in in relation to the built environment and, um, yeah, thinking about your experiences with how that's played out into permaculture and natural building? Um, How do you see the natural environment? Yeah, I I mean, I think, you know, I went for a walk this morning and it was raining and I'm very lucky to be living near, like, a very um, treed area. And yeah. as I was standing in the rain in the forest, I was just thinking that this is where I feel the most myself. This is where I feel the most truly me and who I am. So then it's sort of like I feel then then I go into my everyday life and my architecture and I feel like it's almost catch up. Like how can what I do emanate that feeling that I feel in nature? Do you sometimes feel that these like two mindsets are at odds with each other? Yeah, um, very much so. Sort of this, I mean, with architecture and building, we're cutting down trees to make to make houses, and often houses that don't look anywhere near as lovely or feel as good as being in the forest where the tree was originally. So it's I've had a really hard time um, feeling that affinity with nature when I had that break down, break through, and then reconciling the fact that what I do as a profession is sometimes destroy environments to make what what we think is a better version of a space um if yeah. um so but but having said that I think if you use the materials in a respectful and beautiful way like use those trees um and make sure you're somehow regenerating the earth that we can also we can like almost this sounds really lame but co-create with nature and create really beautiful environments <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think as well you've had some pretty amazing hands-on experiences where you've probably been able to remove yourself from the Melbourne scene. We're so privileged that we can sometimes leave where we are and go somewhere else and experience it there. Um, how did you find um, experimenting with natural buildings? Yeah, um, so in... After I had the breakthrough, let's just call it breakthrough, I then (laughs) um, discovered permaculture. So um, permaculture is as an ecological ecological design framework. Um, Okay. It's about working with nature to create sort of, um, I think it's, I think permaculture derives from permanent agriculture, but it's about working with nature rather than against nature. So a lot of people know permaculture more from a gardening point of view where you you, um, put plants together that 
have a symbiotic relationship and they all work together. So, but permaculture actually looks at all aspects of life from money to living arrangements to community to relationships and and questions um, how can you make all of those systems symbiotic and, and more closed loop so everything's working not in harmony but working together <laughs> and they all interrelate. So when you were studying it and working with it, it wasn't just buildings that you were experimenting with. Um, was it, yeah, like sort of social frameworks? Yes, um, social frameworks, economic frameworks, um, even permaculture even looks at like um, city planning and this idea of decentralising everything and, and making um, just, I guess, bringing everything down to human scale and community scale. Um, it's it's There's a lot of um, sort of, I don't know what the word is, but there's a lot of like callbacks to tribal living and looking at the way in which we have lived as humans and bringing that into now how do we put that into like a modern version of society. So permaculture is also like strong in eco-villages and things like that. So then that's when I guess a lot of hippies got into permaculture um, for those sorts of reasons. But actually at its root, it's a very pragmatic and and very um, well thought out idea and systems of ideas it started from a thesis written by David Holmgren and Bill Mollison who's his supervisor um and so so I think that in um I think it was David Holmgren or Bill Mollison who said like the hippies have actually like put permaculture like it it sort of hindered its progress as like a mainstream uptake but it's a very um amazing framework yeah um, so the way that I came across it was I went to, um, in 2011, I went to this amazing music festival called Eclipse, which was for the full eclipse of the sun. And I was at that point um, looking for, um, looking for like, how can I practice architecture in my, this new paradigm of thinking where I feel like more of affinity of nature and what do I do? And I was thinking like, um, just in terms of materials and architecture. And I found this, I started talking to this architect there who designed this bamboo structure. And he told me, you don't, like he's told me, um, don't just focus on architecture, look at permaculture. And that's like the first time I heard the word. Oh. And then following that, I came back to Melbourne because that was in Cairns. And then I start, I just signed up for a permaculture design certificate with series. And then that's, I guess, when when my journey began. <laughs> into insustainability that's then the um, natural building is sort of a um something that permaculture really pushes so um really advocates for and that's just using materials around your site um using natural materials low embodied energy materials and then also building building things yourself what are some examples of buildings that you've done or projects that you've done that have used those techniques? Yeah. Um, so I went to, in 2013, I, I decided that I'd go, that I'd quit my architecture job and go in search of like a really, the most sustainable way of building. It was like the most idealistic thing you could do. <laughs> um, so I signed up for a natural building course in Thailand and then had plans to, and then I went to India and worked with bamboo. So it was a year of pretty much just my hands in the mud um, where I worked with mud build, mud brick building, bamboo, um, 
bamboo construction, earth bags, um, cob, which is like straw and mud all put together. And, um, yeah, so I spent a year pretty much experimenting with all those different types of building methods. Wow. And how was it? Um, did you – was there a bit of a community who were building these things together? Yeah, I think um, that was probably the most enjoyable thing. The sense of yeah. community um, you have when you're building with a, a crew who are all interested in the same thing or um, that there's something so special about building buildings with other people in a community, yeah. So the actual act of building was fun, sometimes quite tedious and hard and re repetitive, but when you had friends and you were singing and dancing while building, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> Um, were there any challenges that happened or any like funny moments that you look back on on your time there? Um, I guess it was just like being with in a lot of like with a lot of hippies. I think for me that the biggest <laughs> challenge was like I found this amazing thing, yet it's so like it's like diametrically opposed to what I um what what I practice in architecture in Melbourne. So it's just the yeah. how can I – I found something I love this much, but how can I practice architecture with this? Like it's not like I'm going to rock up to site with the builder and say, hey, let's take off our shoes and like, build, build this <laughs> building together, you know? Like it's just not done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you went there and then – what happened after that? Did you come back to Australia after that experience or did you do a bit more travelling and um, working overseas? Um, yeah, I came back to Australia and then travelled to a few places in Australia and then and then I really um, – I pretty much ran out of money so I had to find <laughs> a reasonable job and then that's when um, my friend Hannah Robertson – um, connected me with Paul Ha, who was um, working on a project called Mullum Creek. And then that's when my next journey began, yeah, with, with Paul and Mullum Creek, yeah. I've got so many questions about Mullum Creek because you've spoken about it, but I'm not 100% sure the um, the scope of work. So what is yeah. Mullum Creek? Yeah, Mullum Creek is a housing development in, in Donvale. So it, it was um, the land belongs to the Matthews family, belonged to the Matthews family, who are three siblings who grew up there. And um, it's 50 acres and they wanted to do an ethical and environmental housing development. So they carved yeah. the land up and then then they proceeded to sell the land and anyone who bought land at Mullum anyone who buys land at Mullum Creek has to meet these quite strong ESD, environmentally sustainable design guidelines. Um, but they also have done, before even like the subdivision happened, they've given half of the land back to the natural reserve and done a lot of regenerative work on the, on the project, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so my role was with Paul Ha, who's um, the most epic architect I've ever met. He's just my absolute hero. Um, he he is like an encyclopedia for sustainable knowledge and environmental knowledge. He's amazing. So he was um, 
he was hired by the Matthews family to review all their housing, houses and landscape and make sure that they met the Mullum Creek guidelines. So Paul then hired me to help him with that and then he proceeded to educate me in everything to do with sustainability pretty much. How many houses were being built there? Yeah, there's 56 houses um, and I believe at this point in time in 2020, like half of them have been built. So, um, so yeah, the one stage is complete nearly and then the second stage is starting. Um, So our role was really about review and support. Um, So we... The Matthews family is an initiative um, brought in a whole bunch of sustainable architects to help client help the people who bought the lots um, develop sort of sustainable designs that can meet the guidelines. So what we were doing was really yeah. looking one one of our big jobs was helping architects and clients meet thermal performance. So the houses had to be seven and a half energy star rated. So really helping like helping them make sure that the planning was right, that the windows were correct orientation and shading and that they could achieve seven and a half stars. Um, and then another, other big aspects were like materials, so making sure that all the timbers in the buildings were sustainably sourced and Paul had done a lot of research and put together an amazing timbers guideline um, where you can, you can access it on the internet. Um, just type in Mullum Creek Timbers Guide. And it's a list of sustainably sourced timbers, yeah. Um, and then there was other things like each house had to have four kilowatt solar power and 20,000 litres water tanks. So there was we were reviewing the designs and making sure that they were meeting them and when they didn't we would provide advice. And, yeah, part of, part of the role that um, me, Paul, and also Rafi and Jess, who are also part of the team, part of our – big role was providing writing guidelines um so pretty awesome guidelines on things like under slab insulation um timber products identifying when baltic pine has been used on site um and making sure that doesn't happen because of the source of this baltic pine um is pretty environmentally and you know um not great um so things like that yeah yeah it sounds like you're taking Two approaches, like one is that you're trying to implement the materials that are good um, and that you've researched, but then you're also trying to cut out the materials that aren't good. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Were there many challenges? Um, It was really good. I learned so much and I guess we were ESD consultants. Probably the best thing that's come out of it is um, the team, the, the team that we were. So it was me, Paul, Raffi and Jess. And we have since um, all moved on from Malum Creek, but we're now collaborating and we've got a b- bunch of projects in the pipeline, a sort of um, ode to the work that we did at Malum Creek, creating guidelines. Um, we're planning to start an ESD website where people can find this information and then we can generate more information to support the industry and really identify where the holes are in knowledge and information and then help to produce those. So I really found my tribe. It was um, 
that was one thing that came amazing that came out of Mullum Creek. But also, oh, it was it's like I attended the University of Paul Haar and learned everything there is to know about things like thermal performance, timbers, concrete, embodied energy, life cycle analysis. So it was from going from the natural building, which is all about grassroots, you know, very practical hands-on experience, then moving to Mullum Creek, which is all technical, really a lot of technical experience. After about two, three years working at Mullum Creek, I had like a very, I feel like I had quite a sound knowledge in sustainable building design. Um, but a lot of Mullum Creek was re- report writing and I and I really missed the design side of architecture. So, And so how has this led into your career at the moment? Yeah, well, actually, when I was at Mullum Creek, I actually started teaching at Melbourne Uni and um, yep. I absolutely loved I loved it. I love teaching. So, yeah, so now it's probably been about five years. So I've been teaching in a whole bunch of subjects at uni um, from sustainable design to first-year construction um, and ESD subject. So that that was one of the best things for me that came out of just learning, like having all this technical knowledge that I can now share that with students. Um, oh, amazing. And, yeah. And then the, I guess, um, and then there's been a long process of getting back into architecture and designing buildings and working out what I can do in architecture practice and what my what my path is in in terms of that, how I can design buildings that are good for the environment. Yeah. Yeah, and so like now like thinking back on all that stuff, um, what do you think are some of the issues that the built environment is like causing or that we're struggling with at the moment um, during the design process or yeah, good, the construction that, process? That's so good. I think um, I think it actually has a lot to do with size. I just think we build so much, so so. In, in such big ways that one thing that we really need to look at is just the size of buildings, especially houses. Like we, Australia has the, the largest, some of the largest houses on average in the world and we just take, we just have rooms upon rooms upon rooms that are just not required. <laughs> like, um, So I think, yeah, um, that that's, one big issue that we sort of need to address and then um yeah and then I I think my passion is really um like improving biodiversity and making sure that we're not um destroying the earth and through deforestation and these sorts of things so I I definitely am very interested in how to um improve biodiversity or minimize the amount of materials we're using I really liked the idea that you were telling me about to do with biodiversity, which is planting more trees. Um, what What is that concept? Is that something that you're working on at the moment? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think um, when coronavirus sort of hit and we went into lockdown, I um, I called Paul, who's like my mentor, Paul Ha, and just, just like, what are we going to do, Paul? Like, this is not great. And what's the history? I mean, sorry, what's what's going to be the sort of trajectory for architecture? What am I going to do? Am I going to have a job? <laughs> like, just sort of, I guess it's in the resilience phrase, it's where you fall down, isn't it? Because suddenly, especially for us as architects, like our industry can put if we face a recession, we're going to have a pretty hard time um, in our, for our, um, for the building industry. I mean, it depends if you're maybe in an area where that's propped up by the government, but if you're not, like, it's going to be hard. So a lot of, like, yeah. projects that I was working, I'm working on with another architect, a lot of them have gone on hold. So anyway, so I freaked out and um, and he said, you know what, Nan, we just got to plant trees. <laughs> we just got to take this opportunity to to improve biodiversity and we just got to get our hands dirty and plant trees. And I was like, at first I thought, oh, that's really, that seems, I'm not sure about that. We should just tackle the building industry. And then I thought, actually, that's, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> like the whole reason where, where, where sustainable design consultants is to like conserve biodiversity and, and so we should just cut to the chase and plant trees. So um, yeah, it's been pretty fun. Like during this, lockdown period we've been scheming about the best way to go about planting trees and just getting together and I guess just getting a group and seeing what we can do. I think it's also about us getting a community together and people like you and me and anyone else who's interested in and getting together and doing something that feels positive and is actually making a bit of a change, a bit of a difference. What type of trees are you going to plant and where are you? Yeah that's a good question. Um, So yeah, we got together the Mullum Creek crew, so I'm just going to call it that. But it um, there's a, b- a bunch of us, and then we also have a, f- um, a good friend who's a forest ecologist. So he, we got him on board, and yeah. um, I, I guess we've just been uh, discussing how best can we use our energy. So it's not just about planting trees, because if we just plant a tree, like it could be the wrong species in the wrong area, and and it could just also not survive so we have to be really strategic as to what we do and there's one thing planting trees but if they're not maintained and they're not and fences aren't built to protect them and these sorts of things then they're not going to survive so it's also I think looking at more like a systems approach that and and realizing that you know like we might not be planting trees we may be weeding sometimes (laughs) it's not just all going to (laughs) be sowing Yeah, so we've been um, scheming up, we've been looking at different ideas, like whether you adopt a site, do we link in with some other organisations that are doing really good stuff, like um, some groups in Landcare or another group called Biolinks. Um, Yeah, and do we grow a big sort of big volunteer base or, or do we just keep it small? So these are the sorts of questions that we're asking. But I think to begin with, we're just going to identify some projects and go out every Saturday or Sunday and then just let it grow organically to some extent. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, So when you plant a tree, I've never planted a tree in my whole life. Do you get the tree like, yeah, is it like a tiny seed or is it different for all trees or do you buy like kind of trees that are like already grown a little bit and then you plant them? 
Yeah, you get like a tube stock. So it's just a, it's like a seedling, but a tree seedling can be like 10 centimetres, maybe quite small still put in like three different, three stakes around it. And then you put this like, maybe like a plastic sheet around it. Um, And is it pretty, a pretty similar process for different types of trees? Um, I think, yeah, it will depend on the species and everything, but yeah, like you might be planting larger, larger trees or transplanting trees but yeah and would all the trees be indigenous trees that you'd be planting yeah so what steve who's the forest ecologist is saying that we need to be really um we need to make sure that when we're planting in an area that you have stock that's genetic to that area and that you find nurseries or um tube stock which is the the um the seedlings that that is correct like that is right for that area um that sounds so so fascinating i can't wait to hear like how it all how it all develops um apart from the fact that building tree like planting trees is obviously good for nature and it's good for biodiversity what do you think the act of doing stuff like that brings to us like as humans like going back to your idea of community um do you think it's important for people to do stuff like that and maybe like I mean yeah me I've never planted a tree ever um do you think that like we're kind of drifting a little bit away from really natural organic stuff the act of like getting your hands dirty and putting your hands in the soil is really important yeah I feel sort of similar with the cats that I just (laughs) got because now that I have (laughs) now that I have animals in my house I feel like it forces me like Last yesterday, they actually had these injections, and so they were really, really tired. And I wanted to do all this stuff, but then they were just so cute and tired. Like they just wanted to sit on my lap and like be hugged Aww. all day. And I, I was so cute, but it was really cute. But also, I was like, I need to do stuff. But also, I was thinking, if you have children, it's going to be like this. So you need to learn to slow down. Yeah. And then, um. <laughs> And then I thought, yeah, like I kind of – and so then I sat with them and I felt so calm just sitting with them and they were like purring and then I feel like maybe getting into nature could be like that too. I'm going to try and do some more natural stuff. You're but. so right, yeah. And I think this um, COVID experience where we're currently in lockdown has like slowed us all down and made us – like almost forced us to – stop and reconnect with ourselves and yeah um and I don't know are you finding that like you're really questioning your values and what you're doing with your life and (laughs) yeah definitely definitely um I feel like more than ever before like I think I probably do quite a lot of that stuff anyway like because the podcast and yoga I like feel like I need to be quite fresh-minded when I talk to people um so I already sort of started that journey like a a little while ago but what it what COVID has changed for me is getting me to think more about kind of like what you were talking about with systems and like it's given me space to think about how I'm living my life and why I'm doing certain things and if they're useful and um, 
just becoming like yeah a bit stronger in my yeah. decisions I really want to like make more of a commitment to making like more better choices like always riding my bike if I can always like having my keep cup if I can like things that like in the past I've I've kind of gone through phases where I'm like I'll do this and then I'll stop doing it because I just forgot um now I feel like well like you should just do it yeah. and stick with it um yeah what do you think like has it what has it caused you to like think about um like your goals and yeah. where you're going more or it's kind of so actually permaculture um is actually a, a it's actually a sort of a framework to deal with a system collapse so it's very much like positioned itself as a sort of a, a strategy for when we might reach peak oil or climate change emergencies and um to permaculture is actually seen as like this system of thinking that can catch people once that that curve is hit and you fall on the you fall down on the other end because it's all about self self resilience about relying on community moving away from a monetary economy decentralization riding your bike keep cups and everything that you're talking about so it's kind of been this in in the circles that I'm that I run in that are strong in permaculture um it's, there's been a bit of an excitement going like this might be the chance for us to finally really live in this in this more in a in a more holistic way so I hope that that because everyone slows down or because I slow down that it will give me the opportunity to live actually like a bit more of a simpler life like where you do have the time to ride your bike or sew some clothes and plant and and you're not you're not just like going everywhere, can just going and going and going and going because I feel like this has forced us all to just stop. And um, yeah, yeah, we could probably also look at that in terms of architecture and the work we do. That doing it with more intention, maybe, and because I I I get the feeling we're gonna um, go through pretty like an economic downturn, so people won't have as much money to spend on buildings as they used to have or, or developers or, or um, commercial clients. So we, we probably will in some ways be forced to do a lot more with a bit less. I hope, I hope so because <laughs> that, that works out well for resource depletion and the environment and carbon emissions as well. <laughs> yeah, and I think then I'd like to tie it back into what we started with about adaptability and resilience. Like right now we are like we have to really just question what what are we doing how what is the way that we're working and is there an alternative can we actually put our efforts and energy in other directions because we're better off thinking about that now yeah. rather than when it fully hits and we don't have the opportunity to um explore other avenues so i'm just thinking like even i heard an a big architecture practice that they're thinking about starting an ESD consultancy within in-house. So they're clearly using this time to to come up with, uh, like, to innovate, right? To, like, I mean, so I think one, yeah, if it's easier, easier said than done, but if we can think of ways that we could, I mean, maybe thrive or um, in, in the new world, that would be good. <laughs> like, and that's what I'm trying to, I mean, like, I've, 
I've started my own practice and I'm thinking like, well, I, I really um, would love to help low-income earners. I'd love to help people access architecture design services who don't have the budget or the money um, to do so. So I'm, I, I don't know how I can do that. I mean, maybe that's when natural building comes in because natural building can potentially be a bit more low cost and it can be where are in a builder. But, um, but yeah, I guess these are questions that I um, – that I'm thinking of, and we've had these conversations about um, about about how can we help people in need, not just people with with um, big wallets. <laughs> when I was overseas, especially in India, you you don't even um, you can just do um, early designs, and then you don't need to produce construction documentation because you can go to site and say just move that window there, move that there. Like you're more involved with the building, and imagine it because. You go to site, you realise the better view is 10 centimetres to the left. So you just tell the the, the um, construction worker, just move it. <laughs> Whereas, like, we come up with these designs, we put them on paper and then they have to build exactly that way because our hands are tied in so many different ways um, to make those changes. So, like, how can we make, yeah, so how can the architecture process be a bit more fluid potentially? I don't know. Yeah, I love that you've started this journey so the name of your company is natural elements design well I guess like I started maybe like um pretty much the same time coronavirus hit so prime time to open a business (laughs) going anywhere fast (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but I think the end game and I'm thinking like over 30 years like you know it's like this is my long game but I would love to somehow bring everything that I love about natural building yeah. or bring elements into into conventional practice because I absolutely love architecture. I do really like it yeah. as a profession and I love designing spaces, but um I would love I would love if it was a bit more collaborative, human-centered and yeah. a bit more um connected with nature. So I guess that's the the end goal, but I mean I think it being a startup, like the next couple of years will just be about gaining experience and and um, learning to run a business. With Doyen, every new business, every new thing, it's like no one has done that before. No one will do it in that same way. And it can be quite – I found it quite challenging sometimes because I'm having conversations with people and it's really hard to explain the whole, like, the whole issue that I'm facing like in one particular element of like trying to organize something or trying to book something in or you know maybe I've like had a reaction to a conversation that's upset me and I don't quite know why it's really hard when you're doing it um yeah to but like that's just not a bad thing it's just I think the reality of like starting something new and you grow you'll grow so much with it I'm sure yeah and I think that we have to remember like it's if you're going for what if you're going for what you're passionate in and if you're really trying to um pursue that it's not always going to be easy and that's kind of where the kind of like getting back up and keep on going so I feel like my big lesson is just to be um persistent or determined and not let all these setbacks just um um I just have to make sure I don't give up. <laughs> That's pretty much. <laughs> you start a new business or a new thing and then 
I've been reading a lot of quotes recently that say like, oh, an overnight success. They're actually like 10 years in the making. And it's so true about architecture. Like you're like, oh, I've started natural elements. And it's sort of like, wow, it's just a new thing. And it is new. Like it's a new brand. It's a new identity. And that's exciting. But with that comes like 10 plus years of like university, working like all these little things and like that's our value um so yeah I find that really like I'm so excited I can't wait to see what happens (laughs) um well thank you so much Nay, for your time thank you okay all right well thanks Nay. it's been such a great experience thanks Nayanne for the chat I hope you can join us in our next episode when we talk to Fiona Young and Natalia Kreisia about some educational projects that they've been working on in Sydney. I I guess she just opened up this whole new world for me uh, of the world of research um, and became kind of a really strong role model for me on on how to approach building design through a research lens. And I think above anything else, um, what Fiona constantly brings to have practice as an architect is challenging stereotypes of, of how space should and could be used and really deeply understanding um, how behaviours relate to, to spatial design. Um, and I think that's something that you can only learn through through someone that's doing a PhD who's so immersed in a topic and thinking about behaviour and how it relates to space in, in, this, in this really kind of deep way.